Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, let's pray as we come to God's Word together now. Sure, let's pray. Father God, we do pray this morning that by the power of your Spirit, you would enable our minds to understand uh, what is written in your Word, what we hear now being expounded. And we pray that in our hearts, we would want to respond to it in love for you, obedience to you, and gratitude for all you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What or who... Uh, do you worship? What or who do you value above everything or everyone else? What or who could you not bear to, uh, to live without, without which uh, your life would no longer really feel worth living? Some of the most common answers to that question um, are these. Family, health, career, wisdom, wealth, love, and friends, uh, all great things, all um, given for our enjoyment, but not for our worship. According to the Bible, there is only one person we should worship, and that is God. 
In Matthew's Gospel, we are told that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. To worship is to value something above all else. And having created us, God expects us to worship him. Which seems pretty reasonable when you think that everything we have comes from him in the first place. The trouble is if we don't worship God, what we really worship is ourselves. All those things uh, we see there on the screen. um, All things we maybe think we can't live without. The reason we worship them or we need them, is because of the pleasure they give us. Whether it's people who love us, activities that give us enjoyment, or things that we admire, it's all about us. We, we live as if we are God. And God says, you need to come down off your throne and worship me as king. Now, if that was a human being saying that, it would be quite an arrogant thing to say, but... Um, When it's the God of the universe on whom our lives depend, then it's actually quite arrogant not to do that. The thing is, we can't worship God in our own strength, since the full humans are by nature self-worshippers. And so it requires a change in our hearts, which brings us on to our first point, that to be devoted to worship is to value God in our hearts above all else. If you've got a Bible handy, um, uh, you'd like to turn to Acts 2, which is the passage we've been looking at this last couple of weeks um, in this series on a devoted church. This is the account of the, the day of Pentecost, when God sent the Holy Spirit. And we're told how the apostle preacher Peter preached a sermon to a huge crowd, explaining how Jesus died so we can be forgiven, so that we can be saved. And he ended... Um, by saying that God had raised Jesus to life. And in verse 36, made him Lord and Messiah. And at that point, we're told in verse 37 of chapter 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They've been cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit has enabled them to see who Jesus really was and what he'd come to do. And so the Spirit changed them from within to want to worship Jesus as King. And that word repent describes a change that takes place in the one who believes. He turns from looking at himself and worshipping himself to worshipping God. Another way of describing it is to, to say he's been born again. He's received spiritual life. Had these people in this crowd continued down the road of worshipping themselves as king, they would have faced God's judgment. But God had mercy on them and made it possible for them to see the error of their ways and turn from themselves and turn towards him. Now, the sad thing is that people can go to church for for many years without ever truly worshipping God. 
Jesus said of the, the Pharisees who lived morally uh, upright, respectable lives. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He also said the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. To worship in the Spirit means to worship with a, a heart that has been changed by the Spirit, as was the case at Pentecost. To worship in the truth means that such worship is based on an understanding of who God truly is and what he's done for us. And so the heart and the mind work together in worship. The mind understands who God is, and the heart treasures him or delights in him. Change that took place at Pentecost was that in their hearts, the people now valued God. They treasured him above all things. And that is what's happened to Dave and to Jordan and to Lila, which is why they're getting baptized here this morning. The Spirit has convicted them of their sin, and they are responding in a way that Jesus calls us to by, by getting baptized symbolizing death to the old self-centered way of living and the rising up to new life in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a great blessing for, for those getting baptized. It symbolizes in a very visual way, in a, an experiential way, what God has done already in their lives. And it marks the start of a relationship with God that will continue through their life and through into eternity. Which brings us on to our next point. We worship God in our hearts but we demonstrate how much we value God in the way we live our lives. To be devoted to God, to devoted to worship, is to value God in our daily lives above all else. Let's turn to that passage which Mark read for us from Colossians chapter 3. I've got the first few verses on the screen, but if you'd like to turn to it. Let's just have a read through some of these, these verses. It starts, As Since then... You have been raised with Christ. In other words, you've been made alive. You've received God's mercy. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts and your minds on heavenly things, eternal things, not on the the things of this world which will pass away. Why? carries on for you died your life is now hidden with christ in god when christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory he's saying your old way of life is now dead you have a new life that is in christ a life that he's preparing for you to live with him in glory when he comes again i think if you ask most people they would say they have an awareness of something greater than this life that this cannot be all there is there must be something beyond death even if they don't uh, know what it is for the Christian who believes that they will go to be with God that affects the way they live life in the present and so the passage here goes on to spell that out what does that look like it says uh, in verse 5 put to death therefore Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry is worshipping, is valuing something else more than God. In this case, it talks about a, a desire for sex outside of marriage. It's greed for things that we don't really need. 
It's basically worshipping ourselves by satisfying our, our sinful desires. This is the life you used to live, it says. But now, it goes on, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, it says anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Underneath all those ways of behaving is, is a worship of ourselves. We normally get angry because we don't get our own way. We normally slander others because um, uh, maybe they've said something to us which uh, has hurt us. We normally lie to get what we want or to make ourselves appear good in the eyes of others. And the reasons as Christians we should be ridding ourselves of these ways of behaving is in verse 9. Why? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. If we worship God, we want to become more like him, which means doing the things that that please him. And so the passage continues then on a very positive note. Um, This is the new life that we should live. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I don't think anyone would disagree that such a way of life is far more attractive uh, than the old way of life. This is a life of worship, of putting God and others first. Romans 12 spells it out. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, you may be someone here this morning who is not a Christian, and it's great to have you here with us this morning. And you're thinking, well, that's the way I try to live my life. Um, I don't need to be a Christian to live life that way. And maybe you're actually living a life better than many Christians. I guess the question I would ask you is, where did you get that desire to live in that way? It's not the reason why all of us find this way of living more attractive because we've been made in the image of God. That he's placed in us an appreciation of the, the beauty of a life filled with compassion. The question is, do we acknowledge that comes from God and ask for his strength to live like that? Or do we think we're living a morally good life in our own strength and uh, actually feeling quite pleased with ourselves because of that? Verse 17 of Colossians sums up why we should live in this way. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So to be devoted to worship is to value God in our daily lives above all else. But finally, it's to be to value God in our praise above all else. There are lots of things we love to talk about, um, or these days maybe Twitter about, if you're uh, into that sort of thing. Um, these are some of the tweets from the last uh, a couple of weeks into January. People are not sort of particularly necessarily happy with, with life and things that are happening at the start of the year. Um, it's a common thing we do. We have a good moan, don't we, um, whether we do it verbally 
whether we do it on, on Twitter. To be fair, there have been some positive ones this last week, as uh, Andy Murray said. Um, let's rejoice in Kyle Evans getting to the semi-finals. Um, we use our lips in everyday life. Worship is also what we do with our lips. How do we talk to God? How do we talk to others about God? Do we demonstrate in our words, in our lips, that we value him above all else? Yes, worship is all of life. It's how we live out our lives when we leave this building. But what do we do when we come together as a body of believers? It's a time of focus on God. What did the early church do? Well, Acts 2 says they devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' preaching, to teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in one sense, all of those activities are worship, because they're expressing a life that has submitted itself to God. If you devote yourself to, to learning, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it's because you, you value God above all else, and therefore you want to know him better, and you want to help others know him better. If you're devoted to fellowship, to one another, you're following God's command to love your neighbor as yourself, which again means you must value God above all else. What about the breaking of bread? probably refers here to the taking the Lord's Supper together, um, which is an act of worship. Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. To proclaim the Lord's death is an act of worship. It is saying, uh, I believe what Jesus did on the cross was for my benefit. The other thing the early followers of Jesus devoted themselves was prayer. And in the very act of praying, you are acknowledging that you depend on God for all things. Well, we've looked already in this series at uh, being devoted to learning, being devoted to one another. Next week, we're going to look at being devoted to prayer. Um, but let's just take a few minutes um, before we finish to consider what it means to, to praise God, as it says in verse 47 of chapter 2 of Acts. <clears throat> and for that, let's go back to, to Colossians 3 again, the last couple of verses that were read. Here it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We worship God in many different ways when we come together on a Sunday. Uh, when we read the prayer of confession, we echo that prayer in our hearts. It's, it's worship. When we echo in our hearts our other prayers from the front, when we listen to the Bible being read, when we listen now to the passage being expounded, they're all acts of worship. But one important feature of our time together, and one that is mentioned here in these verses, is our sung worship, which raises the question, what is the importance of music? In worship. Well, firstly, it's biblical. Throughout the Bible, there are musicians. Right from the beginning in Genesis, we're told of Jubal, who apparently was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. King David was a keen musician, wrote many of the Psalms. And uh, in that Psalm that started our service, it said, uh, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. 
Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Jesus sang a hymn at the Last Supper. Paul and Silas sang hymns when they were in prison together for their faith. In the book of Revelation, there is lots of singing that goes on in heaven. So why are music and singing so important? Well, one of the reasons is that they engage the emotions, don't they? Music is emotional. The poetry of the lyrics can in itself be be emotional. But when you add music, it makes it even more emotional. But of course, it's not the, the emotional experience itself that makes it worship. You know, there's lots of music you can listen to uh, and become quite emotional without it being worship. I think of, uh, if you've seen the film, The Mission, Gabriel's oboe, that tune to, to The Mission. Or I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. I'm sure we can mention many more. But when you combine the emotional impact of music with an appreciation of God, it's a powerful combination and can often reinforce the truth of God's word more effectively sometimes than reading it. That's why one of the, uh, the key changes in the Reformation, which we celebrated the 500-year anniversary last year, was congregational singing. Before then, it was very much a listening to, to choir singing. Um, but the Reformers said, actually, it's important that people take part actively in worship, that they sing themselves. The key to sung worship, um, like any worship, though, is the state of our hearts, isn't it? Um, if we stood there just mouthing the words or even singing with gusto, but our minds are just completely somewhere else, um, it's not true worship. It's worship when it's sung in response to what God has done. And so um, look at verse 16 there. It says, um, it's singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. But we can't be grateful unless we know what we are to be grateful for. You know, when we drink uh, the cup at the Lord's Supper, we say, drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. There's a reason to be thankful. Christ died for you. Here it says in verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. And so the best worship songs are those that contain lyrics that uh, make us aware of things to be thankful for. Going back to Psalm 95, it said, uh, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And then it gave us the reason. It said, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. It goes on, come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Why? For he is our God, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He's not just our creator, he's our redeemer who cares for us. So are we grateful in our hearts? That's what God is most concerned about. Christianity is not about us trying to do things to make him love us more but us being more grateful for all that he has already done for us. Let me say that again. Christianity is not about us trying to do things to make him love us more, but us being more grateful for all that he has already done for us. That is worship. That is praise. 
And finally, the other thing about singing together is that we are encouraging one another. Here it says, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. One of the main reasons we come together as a church is to encourage one another, to build one another up in the faith. And we do that in our singing and when we sing with gratitude in our hearts. If we stand there silently because we don't like the tune or we don't like the instrument it's played on or we don't like the version of the lyrics that are being sung or we're just in a bad mood, it's not really going to encourage anybody. Prepare your hearts before you come to worship with God's people because you are here to encourage one another. Well, as we finish and as we are about to be encouraged by the testimonies of those who have experienced the love of Christ in their hearts, let me just remind you as we finish what we have been looking at. We have a God who is worthy of our worship because he made us. He is perfect because he showed us mercy, because he wants us to know him. And each one of us here can know him. We want to worship him him, and value him in our hearts above all else. To be devoted to worship is also, also to live lives that show we value him above all else. And finally, it's to express how much we value him above all else, to express that with our mouths, including with our singing. So we're going to do that now as we sing and thank God for his amazing grace. But before we do that, and as the band come up, why not just take a moment of quiet to reflect on what we've looked at this morning, what God has spoken to you, what he's maybe laid on your heart, and then we'll sing and worship God in praise with our next song. Just a moment of quiet, though, before we do so.